0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a disclaimer. The thoughts and views of the people in this podcast do not represent the opinions or beliefs of 91BTV as a whole. We are not affiliated with any political party or belief and do not promote ourselves to be. We understand that this is a difficult time for all of us, and we think that it's important to share this. For more information, email us at itscoronatime at 91BTV. Com. You been Hello people of the world the and the world. podcast fam, my name is Kevin Jackson and welcome to a special ninth episode of It's Corona Time. It might look a little bit different because I have got a lot of new equipment and um, it's it's crazy, man. Uh, my guest today, which has been <laughs> along with me in this hour of setup is Mr. Connor Edvinson. Um, talk a little bit Hello. about yourself and who you are.
1: Um, So my my name's Connor. Um, So I'm 22 years old. I recently just graduated from the University of Redlands Um, going going into the master's program. Um, I'm a music educator, uh, saxophonist. And so that's uh, my profession and what I'm uh, doing during this time, you know, everything with everything being online and stuff. So having to adapt with that.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. That's dope, man. That's dope. And I just wanted to bring Connor on today because we have been best friends for around ten years now, okay. And I feel like he has a—it's been a long, time. Been a long <laughs> time, man. Sixth grade band, specifically. But um, man, like I just wanted to catch up with him, really, and you know, we have a, we talk about a lot of things today. And I just wanted to bring him in and his knowledge and you know, and uh, and uh, you know, his opinions here to the podcast. Um, but first, I, I just want to, you know, tell the viewers how
1: you've been, man. Um, it's It's been interesting, you know, just seeing everything unfold day to day. You just don't know what's going to go on, you know. Mm-hmm. So much unpredictability in the lives of just people and stuff. Um, I've been privileged to where we uh, have parents as teachers, you know. So they we get consistent paychecks they provide, you know. And we've just been holding out so far. And then from uh, from there with that it's just been a bunch of uh, virtual teaching
0: most definitely Um, in virtual teaching so like what do you do specifically what do you teach
1: so right now um, there are multiple facets Um, I teach both in the uh, public schools and in uh, as a private studio educator and so with the uh, public schools and stuff currently I work at at Owanda high school as the uh, saxophone technician there and so from there I have a studio of about 30 to 35 students uh and then i work with the our entire woodwind section which is about 80 to 85 members and so with that right now um everything's been online through uh zoom and so i've had to upgrade my technology much like you and stuff to be able to meet these uh new challenges and stuff that we face as educators and so it's been a big learning curve with that and then with my private students and stuff um that's where uh, I have about four to five students right now that I teach privately and stuff. And that ranges from Ukaipa to Chino Hills. Mm.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. That's, that's dope. That's dope that you, that you work in not only in the public sector, but also in the private sector doing something that you love. Um, so that's definitely mm-hmm. amazing. Um, in terms of like the public sector, how is that transition going? I know that it's, that's one of the things that kind of brought you on to talk about is more of of schools in general, not in term, not just in the music program, but in terms of what's going on with coronavirus. All right. You can hear me, right?
1: Yes, sir. Beautiful.
0: All right. And before I pop that, let me just pop this. Ugh. Oh, it's like a podcast. <laughs> we got to drink something, man. And this is what I got today. This one is a magical and delicious pale ale. All right. I forget the brand. You know, it's whatever whatever I can get at um, at freaking um, Total Wine. You know, whatever is offered to me and that just, just comes in the bottle by itself and not a case. I'm just like, let me try it out. Let me give it a taste on the podcast, see how it is. And this one is definitely hoppy. Definitely hoppy. Hoppy. Um, it is a pair. All right, it's all right. a little bit different than I used to be doing stouts. If y'all seen the past eight episodes, it's been mostly stouts, Arizona iced tea. <laughs> but now I'm trying to, I'm, I'm try, I'm, you know, I'm trying to try out these new things, you know. So this one says, this is our American-style pear ale made from the six hop varieties and dry hopped with German, some names with some German hops. Anyway, um, so going on, I just really wanted to uh, get your, um, get your um, opinion regarding um, the whole situation of coronavirus expecting schools reopening up. Um, I know in March, um, that was a big time for, um, a lot of schools of, you know, the fear was, was on set of, um, the, uh, of that cases were going to increase and, you know, that's what going to occur. And, uh, realistically, it was, uh, thank God though, that it was less than what we imagined it was to be. Um, but that really screwed up into, uh, screwed up, um, K through 12 education as well as college and universities. Um, and the college and universities, however... Um, kids, I mean, these kids are like, you know, us, which are like 18 or 22, they can adjust to online. Um, but in terms of K through 12, it's a little bit harder, especially when you need, um, more hands-on attention, um, more direct instead of remote. Um, so, um, what is your opinion of, um, of that transition and how do you expect, um, what's the way that you would like us to go forward in reopening schools?
1: I'm gonna leave you with the main statement that um, I see going forward, not just with online resources and stuff, but with um, just going forward in uh, public education, and that's equity of resources. Mm -hmm. And so with equity of resources, um, we really have to make sure that all students have good Wi-Fi connections, have good laptops and stuff, have good resources, and have the, the knowledge and experience to be able to work this technology and stuff. And so that's that from a technology standpoint a lot of people are going to be behind because schools haven't been preparing for that we do a lot of stuff that isn't tech it's, it's starting to get there but the problem is is that a lot of these districts and stuff um it's really resource-based they don't have the resourcing and they've been struggling to be able to get the um like the computers in for students to be able to use and stuff so like um i know with like fontana unified school district and stuff. They've been getting computers in to be able to help um, check out to every single student. That way they have a computer at home and stuff. And so that's where I first start is just with a technology uh, perspective. Then I'm going to start with the um, with grades, because in March, April and May, school districts had a very different way of how they uh, treated grades Um, Some that completely just canceled them, some that did um, credit, no credit and stuff. And it was just it was a mess. You know, there was no accountability and there were a lot of students that fell between the cracks because there's no motivation. And rightly so. And so when we come back into the fall now, we're going to are we going to even have the same group of students coming back in just both from a um, motivational standpoint and from a standpoint of just the actual amount of students Um, looking at multiple surveys for school districts right now, about a quarter of students are going to be online for the entire year through distance learning, uh, from surveys and stuff that they've taken. And so because of that, um, that's going to put a very different burden on how they, uh, school districts resource teachers and how uh, people are going to uh, work online and stuff. And with those that are in hybrid models and uh, learning and stuff that, um, they're going to, those classrooms will run similar to what they have before in an online setting. So right now, um, we, uh, everything's going to, all the districts I I work for and I've seen are at least in the Southern California area are now online until um, further notice and stuff. And that's just because of the spike of everything. And I, I think that's a really smart, um, move just because we haven't seen what this virus does with, students and kids, because we got out of the school so quickly. But it's um, with with that, I mean, it's almost a Petri dish, you know, how are you going to separate students six feet apart when they haven't seen their friends in months? And like with second graders, first graders, third graders, how are you going to do that, you know, and they barely have the resourcing to keep the soap stocked or to keep hand, hand sanitizer stations stocked? How are you going to continue to provide resources and make it equitable across all school districts? Personally, I do not see that happening right now, which is the way things are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely get that. I mean, so the first thing that you said, uh, you said um, equity of resources. I feel like that's a very important point um, to be made because it's... In order for us to all, to get a decent level of education, we have to have at least something. Um, we have to have, like, computers. We have to have a decent internet connection. And there's a lot of areas that really don't have that. I remember when I was in high school, I was working on a journalism story um, that was about the kids um, in India And they, and they, uh, the district ran buses in to the community um, with Wi-Fi on it for kids um, that didn't have it. Um, and that's really, and, and that, that's one of the drawbacks about having remote early, remote learning is that kids are really going to suffer that don't really have a decent internet connection and don't, that don't have computers that actually work. You know, the, with the libraries being closed, you can't go there too. With the schools being closed, you can't come in. So it really, it's really sucks for those kids. But if, if, you know, the government or the state, whether the state or federal government is able to provide money to those districts that could be able to provide those resources to the kids, that will be great. Um, second thing that you stated was about, um, remote learning, um, because you don't know how the virus impacts kids. Um, from earlier, I mean, the virus just came around, around seven, eight months ago. Um, so it was three months in when we shut down. And at that time, it didn't really seem like it affected kids. Right. But then we started, but there has been some cases of it really affect, really affecting kids, especially young people too, uh, you know, 18 through 35, um, and, uh, I, I, it, I mean, I haven't really looked into the cases as much, but I heard that those cases were people that were surrounded with each other for a, a longer period of time. So it wasn't just like going to the grocery store and coming back. You know, it could be areas of like parties. It could be areas of gatherings. Um, so a school would be a gathering. So if those kids, no matter what age they are, uh, all together. You know, it, it could seriously impact them in a negative way. Um, and especially if, if, you know, God forbid the virus mutates, you know, and especially in fall when it's going to be concurrent with flu season, that's just going to be catastrophic. It's just that my heart really goes out to the kids that don't have enough resources or for the kids that are not motivated, you know? So... There's got to be, like, especially like in college, there's a little level of motivation there if you're paying tuition, you know? You're the one out there working hard, you know, slaving away at your job to pay for this, uh, to pay for you to go to college, mm-hmm. to get a degree. But for younger kids, it's like, I don't necessarily want that. Um, I was hearing another podcast the other day. Um, it was with uh, one of my pastors, and he was interviewing um, a community leader um, in the city of Pomona. And um, he runs an organization that basically um, that that works in part with the school district in order to help you know develop kids, um, to mentor kids, um, especially the ones out of the community. Um, and it's kind of def- it's definitely hard for them since it's everything is more remote now. But they used to provide so- resources for students that were homeless, um, for students that had anger management problems, um, for students that weren't really um, you know doing well in school. So, th- like, resources like that, um, you know, they're more hands-on approach. You know, if there's a way for that to be offered um, remotely, that would be great. But if they're not offered at all, then kids that are having those issues, that are having those problems are going to be negatively affected, so.
1: Yeah, and just go- and going from there and stuff with um, the schools and just in general with um, just the way that this virus is happening, there's a lot of pro... Um, it's, it's dependent because there's um, you have the student safety and the teacher safety <clears throat> versus um, community pressure right now. And so um, there have been some school districts that have actually pushed back their start date um, to see what the progress of the virus will be. And then from there th- to try to determine whether they, that um, they can go hybrid or they're still fully online. And so there's a lot of flux and not a lot of communication with, um, parents and people and teachers and things are constantly being dated and stuff. And so, and that's with families like that, that's coming from a teacher family when you have three educators and the, um, the rest are all students right now. And so it's just, it's a nightmare from communication. It's a nightmare from as far as what the plans are and what districts are going to do and how they're communicating that. And my other thing with going back to equity of resourcing and stuff is, you know, in the Southern California area, we have, uh, as it gets into the fall and stuff, we have wind seasons and with wind seasons come rolling blackouts. Now, how are we going to work with an online schedule when we have rolling blackouts coming about by the power companies? Do Do you not just go to school that day? And what about a teacher? Can you not teach if you have a rolling blackout, you know? There's a lot of unpredictable scenarios that are very likely to happen. And in spite of this, it will still be safer to have online than to be in person, especially when you have buildings that have recycled air.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, not just buildings, but planes, too. But yeah, in this situation. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Man, that's crazy. One thing that I thought was just really stupid was when Betsy Ross, I mean, Betsy DeVos, right? I think that's her name the yeah education, you, you know, you know, this. she was like um, she, she was like y'all gotta open schools and there's no funding this makes no sense in order to prevent coronavirus from getting to these kids we need more funding to have proper PVP equipment man yeah that was crazy
1: Betsy DeVos does not speak on behalf of educators in any means um yeah the thing the one of the biggest reasons why coming into the fall and stuff if students go back to school uh, politicians are using that as a way to possibly jumpstart the economy and so because they're trying to jumpstart the economy through that and stuff um this is all right before the election cycle and stuff and so it's all just surface view as far as like what they want there so you have to be very mindful of who is wanting to start schools again and for the reasons that they want to start schools again and watching their rhetoric, their language and being able to really understand and describe that intelligently. And that's, that's the, the other issue you see, you know, despite our public education, our schools and stuff, we still have a massive intelligence issue in the United States and it's prevalent more than ever.
0: If they want to be open back schools, nah, man, y'all got to provide levels of some some form of income for the American people instead of trying to be open back to jumpstart the economy. If you want the economy to jumpstart, it's like giving individual payments into the hands of uh, uh, fellow Americans instead of to the corporate entities and bailing out big companies like airlines and giving PPP loans to businesses that are wealthy and that don't need it. I was, man, I was, I was hearing about like these companies that got money, just like, just, and they're big companies, companies companies. Kanye's company be getting Shake Shack, when Shake Shack got money, I was like, what the hell is this crap, man? Y'all giving money to just big corporations that definitely don't even need it. You know, small businesses, I see, but it's just, it's stupid, man. What they need to do is give me some more $600. That's what they need to do. (laughs) They need to just start this, uh, this uh, just stimulus check every month, okay, for the American people. It's either unemployment stimulus or whatever, you know what I mean? And Republicans were like, we're not going to spend any more money. You know, I was like, what the hell? We need the money. So th- what they were saying is that, th- that the stimulus check and the $600 unemployment is the only thing that's keeping this economy going. That, that's the only thing and, at this point.
1: Yeah. And w- as you're going to see, it's the end of July now. So a lot of places where they had their eviction... um their uh, eviction stuff—that's gonna go through now. But wait, wait, that's that no longer more, gonna be.
0: Well, that was more for like the federal, the, the 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 evictions for like federal housing, right? It didn't it didn't really cover. I don't think it covered a lot more, but.
1: No. It, and a lot of people went with it, though, just because they're trying to keep the similarities and stuff. Yeah. And so because of that now, all of this is going to be ending and there's no renewal on that. So you're, we're about to have a massive housing crisis, housing crisis here in the United States. And, you know, Kevin, everything you were saying about the businesses and like the large like companies and stuff, you know, I want to be surprised by this. I really do. <laughs> but... It It's not. If you've looked at the course of just United States politics and how politicians are continually bought out by corporations and stuff, it's not surprising in any means necessary. And in order for us to move forward, it, it it's crazy. Politics right now with this two-party system, it's like a custody battle for your child. And the 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 child, which is the United States of America, or the divided states of the Americas, as as I like to call it right now, it's something that um, suffering, dramatically, and so. As an educator, I need to make sure that I'm using my platform to bring awareness awareness to these issues, regardless of the subject and stuff. It's important for. Are this generation of students, especially in the high school setting, who are going to become our next group of voters and stuff to be energized and propelled to make changes in their community and to be open minded and to really look out and understand what it is that they want for their communities, not just for themselves. And so you have to do that in meaningful, engaging and non confrontational ways. And so how you do that and how you integrate that into curriculum we're gonna to have to see what teachers do. We would to have to see what states do and stuff. But conversations about this need to be have in the classroom. And to offer resources beyond the conversations, what are ways you can get involved in stuff? What are ways you can take action? And how do we role, role model that? It's really important coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all about educating, man. And and the more knowledge that someone has, the more that they can, the more, the better decisions that they'll make and the, the better way that they live their life, you know? And it's, it's, it's. I mean, you can see that in the past too, when they were like uneducated African-American and, you know, and, and whites. And as you see, as time goes by, they start to make better decisions. They start to, you know, vote, you know, things like that. Um, read, write, so it's it's just crazy when you think of it. The, pol- the polarization of America right now is just so bad. It's so bad and, and it's done on purpose, like they, they mm-hmm. both parties view the i the the, the I, I i can't even say the word the ideological the the you know what I'm trying to say though like the, they they deal the ideological damn I can't say the word the ideological tracks yes, yes exactly like they they both have their own they stick to the side, they're so stubborn and like I'm I'm looking at where the moderates because most of America is independent anyway you know we're not we're not for one side or against one side because we see we see the wrongs and the truths in both, you know, and it's just it's just sad that the way it is right now, and that that that, that m- m- most of this division is is a facade by the top because they're all being bought by being bought and you know by corporate America. So I mean, I've been doing a little bit of you know watching news agencies that are a little bit non biased and that you know that show the that show both sides evenly. So I've been learning a little bit more about that, but ah, man, I just. That's just crazy. Have you
1: have you seen Portland, Kevin? Have you seen
0: I uh, I went to Yo i l I'm telling you I literally was on the trip to Washington or I don't know, we just it was the trip trip was to San Francisco, then we ended up in the Oregon California border, then we ended up in mm-hmm. Selma, no not Selma. Um Salem, Oregon. Then we ended up in Vancouver, Washington. And my driver was like, "Let's go to Mount St. Helens." I was like, "No!" I took him in the wrong direction. I'm just kidding. I didn't say anything. He typed in the wrong direction and went to St. Helens, Oregon. But we about to end up in Canada. Anyway, we were passing by Portland. and I was a little bit. I was a little bit, you know, worried because I don't really know much about the information. If you if you do, you can talk about a little bit more about that. But I was just like. I don't want to get dragged out dragged out this car and arrested and not know what you know when my next day is, or you know not have representation, you know things like that. So if you can inform me, that'll be great
1: and so um there's there's something that I've been reading up on recently involving all of this, and it, it comes from legislation of the previous administration. Are you familiar with the National Defense uh, Authorization Act? Yes. and so. With that act, there is a specific section, uh, section uh, 1021 of the act, and so when it was signed by President Obama in the year 2011, um, this uh, it was entirely controversial. And the reason and the wording behind it is um, section 1021 of this act allows for the president to detain anyone he wants for any reason he wants without a trial, without a lawyer. Without ever seeing any family member again, to be held anywhere in this world indefinitely. Wait, what the hell? And so this was part of the uh, the National Defense Authorization Act when it was re-signed in 2011. And so because of that, um, there were limits onto what those laws could do at that time that were set in place by Congress. However, in 2018, those limits were taking off under the wow, current administration. <laughs> The limits did not have much effect to begin with, but it's something to where right now this administration is acting under this specific part of the law in places like Portland. Now we're going to be going to Chicago and other cities across the country. And so with um, civil rights organizations like, A, like ACLU and stuff that are taking this to court and stuff, this is what this this specific section has already been taken to court before and it's going to be taken to court again. And so this is that legal battle is going to be very revealing in where the judiciary can act and can't act with um the specific act and its wording.
0: I mean if the act was passed, you can say it's legal, but to me that does not sound that does not sound constitutional. I mean, that's one of the that, that's like one of the amendments where you can't like you can't be detained for you know without just cause or it, something
1: that's hmm? it, it's your first and fifth amendments right there mm-hmm. that that's being violated through the wording of of the of this section of the act and so i think there's a very strong case for this to be overturned but it's when we're seeing this happen live on tv this is not something that was just pulled out this is something that has been in place for a while, and it has been put by a very popular president into place. And it's something that I think that we as Americans, we really need to get out of our political ideologies and really understand what our party, what people really support, regardless of what track that they want to go to and stuff. And in ways that they want to move their community forward without um, lying to the American people. Right. And it's tough.
0: Oh, sorry,
1: sorry you, uh, it, it, it's tough, you know, it's like you don't want to live in that state of ignorance, you know, and a lot of people like to. We've had so many distractions like sports, entertainment industry. And because of the coronavirus, it all got stripped away, you know, so we have a very raw image of what America actually and has always been.
0: That's, that's, that's the side that I was like happy for, even though, you know, people were not doing well. Um, hospitalized, there were deaths I was like, everything is stripped away and we're now seeing what America truly looks like and and it's ugly, it's ugly from racism to police brutality to kids in cages to, you know, um discrimination like, we're just seeing it all you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's funny to me how people say, Obama is one of the best presidents, I'm like yo, I don't know if y'all know this I mean he did great things like i definitely know that he did some 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 depth he that he signed some bills that were definitely controversial i know that he he's uh, that he definitely that he implemented some things that are that i definitely would not like i'm just not aware about them yet except for now you're informing me about this one and that's crazy to see how people say yeah this is the best president this is this guy was good like this guy wasn't racist okay i can bet you that literally every president all 45 were racist or did something bad. Like I can just probably tell you that they all would. And it's it's not something to say, oh, we should tear down their statue for it. I believe there's good and bad in both. You know, if they did more good than bad, I feel like it kind of outweighs, but we still have to take a look at the negative and the ugly that they did, you know? Andrew Johnson, freaking hate that guy. Andrew Jackson, I freaking hate him, too. So, like, it's literally, you know, all the Andrews, they did something wrong. But two worst presidents <laughs> ever. Um, anybody with that name, we can c- catch me outside. How about that? But um, it's just, it's crazy how people think that, you know, Obama was the best president when he was doing something, when he signed a bill like this. And especially when um, the Republicans now stripped away all the limits. I don't even know how this thing got signed
1: in the first place. It seems unconstitutional. Well, see, yeah. the, well, back to this, the National Defense Authorization Act is nothing new. It's been something that's been running since the 70s. Yeah. And so it's renewed every year through its funding through Congress and stuff. And so um, during that specific year when um, Obama signed it and stuff, there were added provisions that went into the bill and stuff. And so this is a living piece of legislator, leg- legislation, and I think we have to realize that with a lot of bills and stuff that passes that they are living pieces of documents that affect people's lives. And that they constantly, we have to have the right people to keep that that, sh- that sense of checks and balances. And so that also comes, uh, when you're talking about the history of the United States, just look at our foreign policy. That alone is enough to take out any any administration, any legislation that has ever happened. That, I mean, there's war crimes galore. But do you hear about that? Where is that in our public school system? Where is that in our textbooks? Oh, wait. It's censored and, and we're, we're in California and it's censored. This isn't even states like Texas where their, their history books continually go under different types of censor, censoring whenever there's a new a history book that's published. I mean, and it's just a general thing, you know, why um, you have to be very careful about the image. This country is very careful about how it proceeds to imagine itself and show what that image is to its students. There's so much I didn't learn about schools until I got to college. There's so much about race riots and just about what happened then the history of just this country and just the the history of the African-American and how that struggle has really come into every single race. And it's, it's awful. It's an awful thing for all of this to have happened. And I think it's very brave to see individuals and to see stories and to continue to see stuff come out of the woodworks about what people have done and what people are continuing to do to fight for their communities. And that it's important to see that. It's important to see that representation. It can't be missing any longer from our education system. We're starting to see different barriers slowly break down and stuff with SATs, you know, uh, just with that with the with the UC system and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a very big move to where, if we can continue to roll back testing that limits and puts the the socioeconomic um, restrainer off of communities when applying to higher education and stuff. That that's one of the many first steps we have to take, and so. It's just, it's going to take time and the right people in place. It can't happen overnight. That's not how this country has ever been. But it has to start today.
0: I'm, I mean, I am kind of glad that like people are comparing this year to 1968. At first I'm like, I don't think it was. Now that, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I guess there's a lot of things happening. Like <laughs> when people <laughs> compare this year to like the Great Depression and the nineteen sixties all in one, it's like, oh shoot Like you know, it's it's just a it's a crazy amalgamation of literally of of like the worst like the worst time, but you know, when everything's being revealed, we can now improve. You know, we can now enact legislation that can really help. Um, communities that have been oppressed um, that can really help us um, get the proper equality that we need. I mean, I saw a video the other day. I, I think most, most of you guys have saw it of Kimberly Jones. And she's basically, it's like a six-minute video. Mm-hmm. And she's going out. She's She's laying it all down about how African Americans have faced discrimination and slavery. And then at the end she's like, you know, and, y- and y'all better thank God that black people are, are not looking for, uh, you know... Uh, no, that black people are looking for equality and not revenge. And, like, that line is powerful. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Caucasian people... Not you. But there's a lot of Caucasian people out there that's basically talking about that... that, that, that they're all getting antsy. and all getting scared. Like, oh, black people are coming for us. No, like, cancer culture. That's not necessarily what we... What, what what we believe. I mean, we believe that we're looking, and, and that's what all of all, all, all of the minority groups, you know, LGBTQ, you know, um, Hispanics, um, Asians, you know, Native Americans, um, we're all looking for equality. We're not looking for revenge. We're not looking for black suit supremacy, black support, uh, superiority. That's not what we're looking for. We just want what the american dream or what the american ideals were supposed to be which was equality for all um so
1: and to go off of that kevin i really think that the, it should be above equality at this point the goal is equity oh, okay <laughs> the goal is equity equality is what a lot of people have right now and there's a lot of disparities because of that Equal resources does not mean the same outcomes for a lot of people. Like, equality, like...
0: Oh, I wanted to know... Sorry, your take on affirmative action as well. Sorry, along with that.
1: Oh, see. With the equality message, there, there there's multiple pictures and diagrams that you can see from that and stuff. But it doesn't... Equity is what really helps people um, get the resources needed for their community, and that may be more resources than others than other communities need and stuff. It's all community-based, and it's all de- designed to really help the student um, students to help um, community members thrive. <clears throat> and equality is such an overused message, and it's a meaningless word because some people think it's already been achieved. And it hasn't, not even close. And that shouldn't be the goal people are going for, it should be equity. And to to keep going off of that and stuff, what we need to see and going off that, uh, what you're talking about affirmative action and stuff, specifically, we need to see representation of our communities in our workplaces, in our, our education systems and stuff. And this goes this goes back to um, policing. I'm going to first start with the first example of policing and how with policing, when you have officers coming from outside of their cities and stuff and outside of different counties and stuff and working in areas they're not familiar with, um, that's where you run into a lot of issues because you're not familiar. It's the same thing with teachers. When they enter new communities and workplaces and they haven't studied it, they haven't lived with those people, it's that you grow over time. You have to know what's going on. And with with our officers and stuff they how are they supposed to know it's they they come in they they come in what they're supposed to do and they leave there's no attention there's no care to w- to where and who they work because that's not their community mm. so that's one of the that's one of the first things that i look at in stuff is you have to have representation of who's lived there and to where they understand the history they understand just driving forward what people live and go through um going off of that and stuff it also starts with um you've you've heard of all the 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 taking of resources and defunding the police and stuff and people all get that image in their head Ah! and it's just like and they're thinking oh no we're gonna lose public safety that's
0: not what we want we're just trying to take away the militarization of the police that's it yo anyway
1: The biggest thing... Well, there's a a lot of big things. Something that is discouraging to see is the way that the media is portraying everything. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that when you don't have a population of people that can make educated decisions and can detect bias and stuff and can really look into who's reporting their news and just how that news is being controlled, it makes... People, people can be very easily manipulated. And so, so when you get to reformative change and ideas that resonate with those who are educated, who those who do see what is going on in their communities and stuff, that gets completely twisted. The narrative changes because those in power have the ability to twist that and manipulate the minds of those who, who can't see that. And so... It's, we have to make sure that as a society that our education doesn't just stop at the public schools, it has to keep going beyond that. And when you when schools are only about testing, when all of their funding comes from testing and stuff, and then teachers are constantly the scapegoats and stuff, it's a hard it, it's an easy we re- reason to see why education is the most weaponized topic in the In politics, it controls everything. It controls how people see the world. That's where our battleground first has to be. We have to change the education system. And it has to extend beyond just the years that you're there. You have to learn. You have to live and learn and go. And there's going to be mistakes with that. I think people will have to realize that people will make mistakes along the way. We're so cut 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 <laughs> cut cut you have to write right the first time, instant gratification and no, stuff. That's not that,
0: one. We can change, we can we can grow. We can you know, become our better selves. But we can't get it right the first time always.
1: Yeah. And so per like if I'm looking at it from just a path forward, it all comes that the the, bi- the biggest thing is people have to vote. True. You first have to vote with these elections because with then now you're gonna have people that whose responsibility is to uphold the law and to uphold that set that set of checks and balances. From there, when you have the law intact, that is when you can start making changes, and that's when you can start really evaluating looking at it. But when you have this, this um, custody battle that we see in the United States right now consistently, nothing's going to get done. And things will get compromised um, at the expense of the American people. And I understand I'm in a position of privilege. I don't know a lot of things that people have gone through or communities that have gone through. That's why I go to learn from them. I see what's going on. I need that firsthand experience in order to make educated decisions about how I present that to my students. And I need to know that I can bring people in who have more experience than I do in order to make lasting impacts, in order to really make educated, like this is coming from someone who knows this, who has lived this. And we miss that so much with textbooks and with worksheets and stuff. Where's the real life application?
0: I would say, taking a little bit of, of detour back, um, how is school going to work for you um, in the public sector with music?
1: So the fun thing with summer right now is that we have a three-month advantage over the rest of the public school system right now with music. That also gives us many more challenges than I think core subjects have in this. With um, music and stuff, um, Things that I've had to do personally to upgrade has been um, I've gotten myself a conden- condenser microphone like yourself and stuff. I have a I have a filter um, to help with any recording and playing that I do over Zoom calls and other types of uh, video video conferencing.
0: Okay.
1: I also have um, a brand brand new DVD drive, a brand new camera, brand new laptop, and just upgrading technology to where I can and it, it hasn't been it hasn't been easy it's expensive and people don't have that ability to often to be able to do these upgrades so i'm i know that i'm privileged as a, as a teacher to be able to upgrade that to where i can provide the best experience for my students now with with music and stuff um, we've had to change the way that we approach and so a lot of more stuff has been through video assignments and through recording outside of the class time because from there, that gives you better audio quality. It allows you to really see and understand how to um, um, make better musical judgments. Nothing beats being in person to make musical judgments and assessments. Nothing ever will. I, we have to do the best we can with technology right now about that. As far as in-class sessions and with like Zoom and stuff. so I use the Zoom platform to, uh, with, to help with music and stuff. I have a subscription that I use uh, to help every month. Um, for the most part, it's been very reliable, and I've uh, had to rely a lot on my student staff to be able to help um, learn and teach. Uh, Zoom has a feature called breakout rooms, which has been incredibly helpful in um, dividing sections up to where they can work in groups of, like, five to ten people, and then that helps keep the, uh, the path more straightforward. It's hard to do things when you have 30-plus people in one Zoom room. And so you have to be very calculated in how you lesson plan for that. And this is just a high school level. I can't imagine what the middle school level or the elementary school level is going to be like when you don't have students who know how to use that technology. And so you have to be very creative as a teacher into making sure that you minimize the amount of resources a student needs while expanding Upon that and providing the best education you can. And so it's, it's a complete flip for, for what teachers have to do. And that's going apply to any subject regardless. And you, you know what the payment is going to be for all of this budget cuts, you know, where's the first cut going to come from now that we have these million dollar and billion dollar deficits, education, unions are already planning for it. I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a future teacher here in two or three years. Is there gonna be a market for that? Is there gonna be an economy for that? That's a reason why I put off student teaching right now. <laughs> is because I have all the classes done, but this environment it's far from ideal for anything. So that'll be for um, hopefully the second year of my master's is when I'll be able to student teach and enter in a market to where it will be better suited and there will hopefully be um, a hiring. But there's no guarantees. And what I can't imagine a worse way to end a year of online than to be laid off. Because your district doesn't have the funding to keep you. And that's going to be the big issue. We're, this is another recession. This isn't going away. The stock market is not a good evaluation of what the current, current economy oh, is. No,
0: no, it's a graph of, of, of rich people's good feelings.
1: Yeah, but like people still act like the stock market is a representation. I You, you can't. You can't anymore. Uh, we have to watch. Um, it, it's really going to kind of, uh, the education system is going to be one of the most criticized things going over the next years, however many years that is. Um, with that, we're going to have to make sure that we can get quality teachers into the schools who don't teach just towards a test. It's going to start from having an educated population and an educated group of people in our society to make good decisions that will have lasting change. We have to invest more in education and realize that that's the war ground that we're facing. So we have to make sure that that um, that we, we pay attention to that. And that we focus on it and then we make the changes there and I think we'll really get to begin to see an outward ripple of what that can what the possibilities of that is but it won't be immediate it will take time and people have to realize that it will take time but we have to start now teachers can't keep getting budget cuts you're seeing teacher strikes across the country they can't keep getting budget cuts that part of a literate society will allow individuals to make better decisions and better choices to help others and to impact others in positive ways. And so, Uh, The next group of students and generations, they will be our politicians, they will be our scientists, they will be our mathematicians, they will be our musicians, they will be our artists, they will be those who who work in, in blue collar jobs and stuff too, and white collar jobs. And those who work to help keep our infrastructure updated, those to help keep our roads going, those to help with our plumbing, with our electricity, with our heating, and we have to make sure that we're providing to all groups of people. And that that has to start now. We have to have programs in place that aren't being cut. We have to have programs in place that are helping people, that are funded well, that have good people in charge, and that have a mission, a goal, that is not just stalling, it's not wandering around, it's not just a program just to improve the diversity of a school. So many schools do that. They add these programs or things, and it it looks great on paper. What's it doing what's it doing in real life
0: practice,
1: what what's the practice? people preach what's the practice?
0: Well, there's a lot of things that we gotta work on, but we're glad to have you on here to talk about it, Mr. Evanson. Where can people find you
1: so um actually question what do you mean by that
0: <laughs> where can people find you if they want to know more information about you yourself
1: well um i right now actually i'm currently working on a website okay. so I, I i'm building that to be able to get that out there and stuff um i mean honestly you can find me at the university of redlands and stuff um you can um you can find me working in in the schools and stuff. Um, Online's interesting. I'm there and I'm not there with platforms and stuff. But I, I hope that with this message that um, just just take a look at the programs, just take a look at the students. Um, my, my goal going forward is to start um, working with uh, musicians personally and with the goals of my private studio are to help make change in students lives. And that change involves specifically how they carry themselves and how they act as musicians and as people going forward. And so my impact right now is starting with my students that will grow over time, but that is where you will find me right now is with my students.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Well, thank you guys for watching this episode of it's Corona time. I do these infrequently, usually on Tuesdays and Oh wait, nope, I don't even know what I'm on time frame. I, <laughs> I just do this infrequently from time to time when I want to have a good guest on. Hopefully next week we have a great guest on and you guys can listen or watch. And with that, y'all take care.
1: Take care. Thank you for your time.
0: Alrighty, Mr. Evanson. Thank you for bearing with me with all the technical issues.
1: You're good, man. The first time, you got to work out everything. I, I had similar things with teaching, you know?
0: Yeah. Wait, so you guys all use Zoom? Like, you know, like... In, in, yes. in Etiwanda and what's it called again?
1: Yeah, with Etiwanda and with my teaching and stuff, I use Zoom. Just It's the most consistent platform. Okay. Um, and it's the one I pay for, so I'm going to use it.
0: <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And the last question before... I let you get to the teaching, um, and I, I'll probably call you back sometime next week just to talk, you know, one on one stuff like that. But yeah, man. Um, uh, what's I say? Oh yeah, sorry. Two things. This is a game night tonight. If you want to join me, it's at eight. I don't know if you have something, but I'll send you the link. that time.
1: All right. Send me the link.
0: For sure. And then lastly, um, what's happened to a marching band?
1: <laughs> uh, is is has the recording ended?
0: um